I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. What's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally, and I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. And like always, I'm joined with my husband and co-host, Josiah. How are you feeling? Excellent. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, babe? I'm doing awesome. We are so thrilled to have a special guest joining us today to specifically talk to the person in the rural setting. I know it can be very discouraging being in a small town, having a desire to see people come to Christ and maybe not knowing where to start, not knowing what to do. So we have a special guest who can hopefully speak into that and encourage you where you We sure do. And Carl Vaders has been a small church pastor for over 30 years. He's the author of The Church Recovery Guide, 100 Days to a Healthier Church, as well as Small Church Essentials and the Grasshopper Myth. He's the teaching pastor at Cornerstone Church in Fountain Valley, California, and he's joining us today for a conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. Carl, welcome. Hey, good to be with you. I feel, I, I feel honored, but slightly out of place to be on anything called Young Adults, but... Hey. Here I am. Young-ish. Does that help? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Oh, my gosh. We're so thrilled to have you, Carl. Oh, good to be here. All right. We're going to kick things off. So from the listener, if you do not know Carl, we're just going to start with that. Will you be willing to share maybe your story, the journey of life, faith, friendship, and leadership, essentially, and how did you get to where you are today? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's it's not a very exciting story. It doesn't have a whole bunch of like really heroic highs. It doesn't have any horrific lows, uh, but it, but it's my story. Uh, I, I'm a third generation pastor, um, uh, so I was raised in the church. I was I was literally born while my dad was preaching a Sunday evening sermon at church. Uh, <laughs> Uh, they, they dropped me off at the hospital and they said, oh, he's, she, she's going to be a long time. You can go back and finish the service. So he went back, he preached, came, I was, I was there. So, and then my, my, my next Sunday, I was sitting on the piano bench in a basket next to my mom while she played piano for church. So you, you can't get more church kid than me. Um, that's, that's who I am. And so, and, and then I felt a call to ministry myself. I, I fought back against it a little bit because it would have been third generation and you never, you shouldn't go into pastoring as the family business. That's just not a good way to do it. You got to have your own call. So I pushed back a little just to be sure that it wasn't that, but it was a call. I basically, cause I was miserable doing anything else. So I found myself in pastoring and I, I entered pastoring just as the church growth movement was beginning. Mm-hmm. So during Bible college, I was taught the previous, the way of the previous generation from from professors who had not been raised under church growth movement. I'm five years out of Bible college and all the church growth stuff hits like a vengeance. And I look at it and go, I got to relearn everything I learned because this is not what I was. And this looks right. So I did, I, I unlearned, I relearned and I jumped, you know, headlong into a church growth. And I'm grateful that I did. There were a lot of really, really good things that happened because of that. But <laughs> As hard as I worked at doing all of the church growth principles, the church never got big like the books seemed to, to promise it would. Wow. Yeah. I, I followed the rules. I did everything I was supposed to do. And there was some growth. And yeah, we got to a place of health, but it never, you know, I could never get through that 200 barrier, for instance. And, uh, and then 27 years ago, 
I came to the, to the congregation that I'm at right now in Orange County, California, and there's tons of people around. And I thought, now is the time. And there's this guy really nearby who's really growing like crazy named Rick Warren. So if he can do it, I can do it. I'm in the same county as him after all, right? And we're on a main street. And again, same thing. The numbers just didn't develop. And about a dozen to 15 years ago, I went through a real crisis of not of faith, but of leadership and of in ministry and unsure. Am I really called to this? Because I keep doing everything I'm told to do. The numbers aren't, aren't developing. There must be something wrong. And through a long time of soul searching and going to counseling and everything else, I discovered, hey, we've got a really, really healthy church. If you took numbers off the table and look at our church, mm -hmm. anybody who comes by goes, this church is amazing. It's healthy. It's strong. It's got outreach. We had so many pastors who'd come by and go, oh, you're not going to be small for long because this church is amazing. And yet we stayed small. So I had to look at it and go, okay, so maybe it's possible for a church to be healthy and stay strong and to reach out and to not get big. And so that's when I started looking into healthy small churches, what that looks like. And it's been a relentless quest ever since. Carl, that's amazing. And I think just hearing your passion, it, it speaks of your life experience. It speaks of your history as an individual. And I think that young leaders um, in today's world, whether it's social media or just um, comparison, I think that many times we mistake size for significance. And clearly this is something we're going to talk about in rural settings and small churches. But can I ask just one layer deeper, where does your passion for resourcing small churches come from? And will you share about that? For sure. Well, it, it was, it's the next segment, you know, of the story. So I, here I was, and I was, I remember the day sitting with the staff, with the volunteers in the church. And um, after I'd gone through the season of soul searching and to kind of come back and was like, I'm just going to keep being obedient to God, whether the numbers show up or not. And I remember in one staff meeting, we were talking about, you know, how do we get the numbers up for this or whatever? And I paused and I looked at the staff and, you know, mostly volunteers at small church. And I looked at them and said, that's it. We got to stop thinking like a big church. And their jaws hit the floor. I said, we have to stop thinking like a big church because we're not one. We're a small church. We have to figure out what a healthy small church looks like. And we have to do that. And nobody in the room knew how to answer the question. Like, what does a healthy small church look like? How do we find resources for healthy, healthy small churches? So I started looking and it was almost impossible to find. Almost every church leadership resource I found began with, so I talked to the pastors of the fastest growing churches in the world, or I talked to the pastors of the biggest churches in the world, and here's what I found healthy churches look like. Nobody even you know, put a couple healthy small churches on the list of people they talked to. So it was like, I, I, I can't get it from there. So I just scrambled. I started talking to other small church pastors. Anytime I would find a little morsel somewhere that applied to a smaller situation, I'd write it down. So I just started writing down every idea I could, uh, putting it all together. I started teaching it to our congregation. Um, and then I, I remember one day sitting with my wife, uh, well, actually several times, and she'd say, uh, quit whining that nobody's written about this and write about this. Write a book. And I'm like, first of all, nobody knows me. Nobody knows who I am. I have no platform. Nobody's going to read a book by me. Plus a book about small churches. Nobody's going to read that. She said, well, who's going to write a book about small church pastoring other than a small church pastor? Right. And how many famous ones do you know? Right. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so I wrote the book. I wrote the grasshopper myth and I, I didn't even call a publisher 
because I knew no publisher was interested in it. I had no platform and I had a, I had a subject that nobody wanted to buy. So I started my blog and I started writing and I started putting it out there and it started selling like crazy. And then uh, publishers and Christianity Today and others came along and said, hey, we notice you're getting some traction and we really do like that message and you're being consistent with it and you're not bashing big churches. We like that. Would you partner with us? So I started partnering with other ministries and out of that came the other books through Moody. And uh, for a while I was blogging for Christianity Today and that kind of a thing. So I, the idea, the passion for resourcing small churches came out of the fact that I couldn't find any. I often have said, if I had been able to find my book, I would never have had to write my book. Right. That's the only reason I've written it is because it, it's so, now there's more coming alongside that, uh, but very few resources. So you've got like 90% of the churches in the world are under 200, but maybe 1% of the church leadership books are written for them. Mm-hmm. So I thought, we just don't have the resources. I've got to find them and I've got to get them out there. So that's, that's why I do this because there's this massive hole in our training about how to be a pastor. That's amazing, Carl. I think of that hole as an opportunity to pioneer. Pioneer ground that has never been tilled. Pioneer ground that has never been, you know, seeded or planted or maybe even prayed over, you know, of just saying, how can I be a person to see this change um, in the rural setting and not, you know, not just be a blog, but to be studying and to look and encourage all those people. Cause you had shared 90% of churches are considered small, quote unquote. And yeah. that is, that's significant. That's an amazing opportunity taken by you. So that's almost all churches actually. That is almost all churches. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a massive percentage of churches, and it's fully half the Christians in the world. Because of course, the bigger churches have more people in them. So the division of the number of churches is about ninety ten, and the division of the number of people in them is about fifty fifty. That's amazing. So about fifty, yeah. So you're you're, you're talking about ninety percent of the pastors in the world and fifty percent of the Christians in the world that are hugely under resourced. And and the biggest reason they're under resourced, I think, is because why would you resource something if you think it's a bad thing? And, and we've been kind of, I, I operated under the assumption for a lot of years that a small church must be a bad thing to be because everybody keeps telling me I have to get bigger. And if I have to get bigger, if I have to break through these barriers, there must be something wrong with being small. So why would you train somebody in how to do something that you don't want to be? Right. And many of our educations, whether your business, your ministry, you can look at the numbers and the numbers tell the story of success, quote unquote. So that's why when we're taught that it's ingrained in us, like you only have 30 people coming to your small group or your Bible study. You only have X amount of people coming through your doors. There must be something wrong with you. No, it's, it's evident that you can be strong. You can be healthy. You can, you can have people come in, you can send them out and there can be changing the world that we don't know who's going to, you know, yeah. going to be impacting God's kingdom and to not look at small numbers as a negative thing. And right. I think when God says, take care of the small things and I will give you more and I will bless you. So and don't, and don't uh, worry about um, small beginnings. Don't like be frustrated by those small beginnings because there's going to be more. And yeah, we just don't know what God's going to do in some of those areas. And many of our listeners, Carl, are would probably consider them some type of pioneer, very similar to what you just experienced um, 
in your story and what you were willing to share, there are young leaders that are themselves and they're finding a burden for the next generation. And they're trying to figure out, it's like, God has placed me in this small town. He's placed me in this setting. What would you say to them about reaching young adults in their communities? Where can they begin if they see that need and they feel that need? How do they start? That, that's a great question because like I said, finding the resources is very difficult. So what, start with what you know, and then take a look around and learn from your context. Um, in a bigger uh, setting, a bigger area like I am, uh, you know, Orange County, California, tons of people around, uh, I can learn by reading online about demographics because the demographics fit when you're in a large population area. Mm -hmm. But when you're in a smaller population area, small towns, rural communities, agricultural areas, and so on, the demographics, uh, even of your county, let alone of your state and of your country, are unlikely to fit your environment because the smaller the group gets, the more specific and unique and different it is from the general stats. So the first thing you want to do is be contextual. Uh, for years, we used the word relevant, and it's not a bad term, but Relevant has been used so much in church now that it's had some baggage attached to it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I don't reject the word relevant. If somebody says the word relevant, I agree. You need to be relevant. But I don't use it because relevant has become synonymous with cool. Mm -hmm. And it's like when you say your church needs to be relevant, what we hear in our head is the church needs to be cool. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is a lot of us minister in some really uncool places. <laughs> right. Cool is not going to work in most of your small towns and agricultural areas because the people there aren't cool. They're hardworking. They're godly. They're helpful. They're all kinds of wonderful things, but they're anything but cool. So forget about cool. Forget about relevant and look at your context. Be mm. contextual. So where are you? Are you in a place where everybody's got hipster jeans with tears in the knees? Or are you in a place where everybody wears overalls? If everybody's wearing overalls, do overall contextual ministry. Yeah. <laughs> Minister in your context. And the smaller the town is and the smaller the church is, the more it's important to uh, not ignore, understand the demographics but step aside from the demographics and minister to the, the specific people within your context. That's the place to start in small and rural ministry. So in your ministry personally, you can go that route. And as well as your travels, speaking in conferences and visiting other places and being aware of these small churches, what are some of the common themes that you're noticing about two things in their collision, young adults and smaller churches? Oh, there's so much in that. You got a three-hour podcast, good. <laughs> um, young adults and smaller churches. There, there is a. It's a. It's very tempting, and I hear people say it regularly. Uh, well, what millennials want now is the small church. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> part of the challenge we've got when, with dealing with young people is this: uh, most of our leadership and church leadership teaching comes from people around my age, boomers and maybe a few Gen X folks. Sure. And boomers really like categorizing people. Totally. Uh, we, we are boomers. Like we all, we all watch the same TV show at the same time. We, we're, we're literally the generation that created one size fits all before us. If you had Mac and cheese, it was different in every region of the country. We created the blue and yellow box that everybody from Florida to Oregon is, is eating their macaroni and cheese out of, right? We literally created one size fits all. And then yeah. we took it into church ministry and we said, this church is for this type of person. So 
because of that, people my age, boomers, we, we just stick to that idea and we want to go, okay, now what do millennials want? And the thing with millennials is uh, there, there, aren't, there are no millennials. There's no millennial. The idea of there is a millennial and you'll understand millennials is a myth that everybody needs to let go of. That's good. Um, because they, everybody's got their own Spotify list. They've got their own Netflix queue. Uh, you're going to meet one millennial who wants a small church, one who wants a mega church, uh, another one who wants a small church for some things and a mega church for other things, and a whole bunch of millennials that church isn't on their radar screen. They don't dislike it. They don't hate it. They just wouldn't consider going to a church any more than they'd consider, you know, playing tennis if they've never played tennis. It it it's just not an issue in their lives like it was for us. So they haven't rejected it. They just haven't thought of it. So we have to approach uh, young people in our towns uh, on an individualized basis, or at least on a small group basis, and and and, and sit down. I've I've often tell boomers, people my age, pastors my age, if you want to hear millennials, here's what you do: you sit down uh, with Jennifer and Kevin, and after having a, a, find two millennials, and you sit down with Jennifer and Kevin, two millennials, and after you've had an hour and a half conversation with Jennifer and Kevin, you will understand a little bit more about Jennifer and Kevin. Yep. Mm -hmm. But you're not necessarily going to understand more about millennials. You have to individualize it. So I think there's some wonderful things that happen with that. Uh, it gets us away from kind of generic ministry. It, it's much more exciting. Uh, another thing that we do, one of the things that I do think is far more prevalent in younger people today than younger people when I was young is that there is really a desire to, um, to do it, not just to uh, watch it. They, there's a desire to participate in it. And so the idea of stepping up and doing something is really important. I think it's really fascinating now, you know, we're looking around and, you know, as we're recording now, we're just hopefully beginning to come out of the pandemic lockdown. Hopefully mm -hmm. uh, we're watching uh, all kinds of responses to racial injustice and mm -hmm. pushback against that. There's a whole political season and I was reflecting on it yesterday and I'll probably write the post up soon. Uh, I remember it wasn't that long ago that, that people my age looked at younger people and went, they just don't have any passion. They just don't care about anything. But back when, back in the Woodstock generation, we really cared about things like, and they'd list these things. And now you can't look around and go, well, people don't care anymore. Right. <laughs> There's a whole lot of caring going on. Uh, right. And instead of pushing back against that, why don't we tap into that passion? Right. Why aren't we, why aren't we helping them navigate through the seas of, passion over important issues. These are really important issues that are in front of us right now. And quit whining about that they're not responding the way you think they should respond. Be grateful that they have passion over important issues and help guide them. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if that comes close to answering the question. I just got on a rant there, so we'll just leave it there. <laughs> I think it was phenomenal. What stands out to me, Alex, <laughs> you, you were sharing about how you know, Spotify allows you to individually tailor your preferences and right. individually like curate your own playlist. And Netflix is like that. Prime is like that. Hulu, you name it. Like that's where our world with on-demand content is. And I think the other thing that you shared was, did you say Brad and Jennifer? Kevin and Jennifer. Kevin and Jennifer. I was thinking of a different Brad and Jennifer. Anyway, uh, yeah. Kevin, Kevin and Jennifer, <laughs> when you think about like, my question to every pastor or leader is if you're going to categorically speak about millennials or Generation Z, my question is like when you open your phone or your email account, 
who are you in contact and community with who's under 30? Like, what names do you know? Could you, do you, can you identify, Kevin? Can you identify Jennifer? Because when a lot of times we surround ourselves with people who look like us, they dress like us, maybe they wear the same overalls or shop for the same overalls at the store we shop for overalls at, or they get their mac and cheese where we get our mac and cheese. And I think that if pastors could zoom out and just look at who are the people who are the individuals that I know mm -hmm. that I could call, that I could text, that I could pray for, that I'm Facebook friends with? I think that's a great place to start. Yeah, yes. I think that's amazing. And yeah. another thing that we're hearing, oh, go ahead. Yeah, as a quick example of that, it doesn't happen easy. When I first came to our church, it was all seniors. We're talking 27 years ago. And it took 15 years. It took 10 to 15 years to get to the point where the church was as much, as many people in the church were younger than me as were older than me. Yeah. Uh, now it's easy cause I'm older, but, um, and then at, at, after my 25th anniversary here, I handed the reins of the church over to uh, my youth pastor who'd been with me the entire 25 years. Wow. So currently my pastor is my former youth pastor. I am now his teaching pastor and we have an amazingly young staff because we've cultivated that. So for yeah. example, about a month ago, we were having a conversation among our staff members, most of whom are volunteer. And the, the, the girl who's in charge of our um, first impressions, and I use the word girl, use the word girl, not woman intentionally because she's a teenager. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if she was older, I'd call her a woman. She's a girl. She's a teenager. So the teenage girl who's in charge of our first impressions team, because she's amazing at it. Yeah. Uh, we were having a conversation about something and the pastor, new pastor was trying to figure out a way. And then he paused and went, wait a minute. Pastor Carl has dealt with this before. Pastor Carl, how would you do this? And I said, this is how I would do it. And everybody around the room went, oh, that is a better way. And then Maddie, the teenage girl who was overseas, our first impression said, but what if we change it this way? And they went, oh, you're right. Let's tweak that. And then we went on. And it was only later that it occurred to me. We have, we have, we have been able, we've, we've been blessed to create such a healthy staff environment that a pastor in the in his 40s was not intimidated turning to the previous pastor in the room in his 60s and saying how would you do this because you've got more wisdom in this i suggested something and then a teenager made it better and nobody in the room blinked an eye that somehow she was speaking up against the senior guy in the room the best idea wins and if you can get a variety of ages and genders and ethnic backgrounds around the table, you'll get more ideas, better ideas, a more creative place, but you've got to be open to that and you've got to intentionally push towards that or it won't, ha it won't happen on its own. Yes, it takes a very secure leader to do what you just said, to look up, to look down the generations to come and then come to the conclusion that this idea is the best idea. And one thing that we're hearing, Carl, is many of the leaders listening, many of the people listening, or many of the young adults who are attending smaller churches, they're simply saying this, there are no young adults. There are young, there's no young adults in my church. There's no young adults in my um, young adult group. I, there's two of us. What would you say to that, to that you know, statement in response when people say there are just simply no young adults? There are. Um, they, they may not be obvious, as we talked about earlier, they may not have church on their radar. Um, and quite frankly, it's harder to engage someone who's apathetic about it than someone who's, who, who's even maybe even angry over it. Sure. Uh, but they are there. 
So we have to get out of our buildings. One of the things that this pandemic has done is it's forced us out of our buildings. And I think if we respond correctly to that, we can actually, the church can actually grow stronger because of it. Because for instance, when we, when we decided we got to figure out how to be a small church, we're in a tiny, tiny little building. And I just gave up on trying to find a bigger building. It's too expensive here anyway, all kinds of other reasons. And what it did was it forced us to rethink. And for now, almost 15 years since we made that decision, our goal has been not how do we do ministry in our building, but how do we do ministry from our building? Beautiful. And that's, that's a real big change of mindset that we've had to do. And that's what this is forcing us to do. We can't do ministry in our building in a lot of places. And even if you can now, real quick, that may change. Who knows what's going to hit your neighborhood next? So we should, we should have always been thinking, how do we do ministry from the building and not in the building? So this hopefully helps us you know, push us towards something that quite frankly is more biblical. So if we're thinking ministry from the building, as we do ministry from the building, go out into the community, you will find young people in your community. They may have no church on their radar screen, but that's okay. I have noticed that if you actually contextualize the gospel of Jesus for them, when people actually get a clear picture of Jesus, they tend to like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this generation is no exception. And so we, if they're not interested in coming to us, fine, go to them. That's yeah. where we need to start. We, we need to start thinking of ministry and doing it in totally different ways. Mm-hmm. That's phenomenal. I just think of coffee shops. Yep. Some people like coffee and I think they like, like the community and the, the connections that they make over the cup of coffee or the conversations that that cup of coffee actually represents. And maybe even office buildings, um, in corporate settings are, are operating similarly where they're going to corporate settings or they're giving release time or allowing more work from home mm-hmm. in remote locations and decentralizing maybe what has previously been centralized. And so I think that going to people is always what Jesus designed. It wasn't always about come to me. It's I'm, I'm going to your house today. Mm -hmm. And so I I love that model. And Carl, we've come now to the point where we're coming to your house today. We're going to come and bring five questions in five minutes and just pick your brain, hear your thoughts, learn a little bit more about you. Are you up for that? I am up for it. All right, cool. Well, kicking us off. If you could describe yourself to the listener, the learner, the leader tuning into this podcast right now, if you could describe yourself in three words, what would they be? passionate about Jesus. Um, When I nearly collapsed out of ministry out of trying to chase the numbers over a decade ago now, I realized that what had happened was I had become like the Ephesian church in the book of Revelation. I had lost my first love. And I remember sitting in a therapist's office. Yes, I've been to therapy and pastoral ministry sent me there. Um, I was sitting in a therapist's office and he said, what do you, what do you want out of this? And I felt these words falling out of my face and I didn't know it till after I said it. I just looked at him and through tears, I just said, I have to figure out how to fall in love with Jesus again. Wow. Cause I've been working for him and I've lost my first love. And since that moment, I have been far more conscious than ever before that that's what it's about. I have to be passionate about Jesus, the church stuff, the numbers, the finances, the strategizing, all of that is only good if it serves being passionate about Jesus. 
That's perfect, Carl. Thank you for going there and being vulnerable. Yeah, and for the listener, exactly. there is nothing wrong with prayer ministry. There is nothing wrong with seeing a counselor. There or is nothing therapy. wrong with going through therapy. That is definitely what our heart needs Amen. at times. Amen. So question number two, are there any words or quotes or Bible verses that you live by? Um, I, I'm not a big quote guy, but the one verse that in recent years has really jumped out and become a huge part of my ministry is uh, Hebrews eleven six, but it's a part of the verse. We, we often talk about the first half of the verse and the last half of the verse, and we ignore the middle. So the verse is, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So when I was studying this years ago, I looked at the verse again, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. We quote that, we teach it a lot. But in the end of it, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We talk about that a lot. What we miss is the middle part. And yeah. It just overwhelmed me a little while ago. If anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. <laughs> right? I, so I keep coming back. We've got to worship the God who exists, yep. not the God we make up in our own heads. And the thing is, because God actually exists, we don't get to make him up, but we do get to discover who he is. Mm-hmm. So that has really shifted and revolutionized the way I look at ministry. It's not that I was making anything up before, but I keep coming back to it. I keep talking to people about it. This is not, oh, what is God to you? That's at best a secondary question, if we ever get to it at all. The most important question is, who, who does God, who does the God who exists say he is? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you start there, then, it's, then all kinds of amazing things that come up. There's a reason why the Bible begins in the beginning God, right? It's the first, it's the first words of scripture. God establishes his existence and doesn't explain himself. And that's where faith begins with the God who exists. Phenomenal. That was like a mini message. And (laughs) Carl, if you could, this keeps us on our toes. This keeps us sharp as leaders. If you could ask Mike and I one question today, it could be anything about life, leadership, marriage, ministry, any, we're open books. What would you ask us today? Why are you passionate about doing what we're doing right now? I can answer first. When I was 21 years old, I started my first job um, being a young adult pastor at the church I grew up in. And there wasn't any podcasts, but I listened to podcasts. There wasn't any books, but I read books. And there wasn't any conferences. And I went to conferences that helped me understand what young adult ministry meant and how to just be present in the lives of young adults in terms of young adult ministry and not many churches at, you know, this was eight, nine years ago, not many churches in our area had a young adult ministry. So it really forced me to get in two ways. Number one, the prayer closet. And number two, just to become a passionate pioneer. And I feel like similar to you, one of the things I related to that you shared early on is like, since there's no resources, um, we need enough young adult pastors that they're like, man, I wish there was a podcast. I wish there was a community. And we saw just hundreds of people overnight join a Facebook group once we created one. And so it was kind of out of necessity. We have this need and we'd like to sit with these leaders and I bet other people would too. And so that's why we're passionate about it. We've seen God's hand of blessing and mm-hmm. favor in the relationships and mm-hmm. 
we also, you know, from the guest side, but then on the side of the listener, people are responding saying that this is blessing their lives. So that motivates us. Yeah. Similarly, I would say that my story is similar to Josiah. I was in North Dakota. Um, there was no young adult ministry. I found myself being selfish on a Wednesday night, taking that time as a youth leader and investing in myself. When in reality, I was there supposed to be investing in the youth. And I recognized that I'm like, oh my gosh. So the pastor of the youth ministry looked at me. He's like, Mikey, you need to get on your knees and you need to start praying for a young adult ministry, start something. And from there, I began to pray and God provided the people along the way. And like Josiah said, it went into youth ministry, youth slash young adult ministry. And all the books and all the content was simply towards youth. Six through 12th grade. Yep. And then by the time my life significantly changed after I was 18 on your own college, making poor decisions, getting involved with the wrong crowd, realizing at age 23, 24, that I need to take my relationship with Christ seriously and I need to own it myself. And I was finding myself listening to podcasts at that time as well. Andy Stanley, all these different um, people that I really admired from afar. And one thing that Josiah and I believe for this podcast um, primarily is that we don't want to be consumers. We want to be con content creators. So if we can create content and team up with other people and pick their brains to see what God is downloaded to them or certain approaches and just see their passion shine through a platform that they have, but also one that God's asking us to steward as well. So that's kind of why we do what we do. And for the listener that hopefully they're blessed not only by us, by what God is doing in their own heart and with our guests that we have. So that was a great question. I love it. Dang. I, I, I love it. Because, yeah, our, our stories are similar. It's basically the nexus of your experience, your passion, and a recognized need. If you can work in an area where wow. you have experience, passion, and a meeting a recognized need, it'll never get better than that. That's wow. so true. Okay. Maybe, maybe that's why we have so much fun doing it, is what you just said. Yeah. Life with Christ should be fun, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, All right, for sure. Carl, number four, what is the greatest challenge you are currently facing? Yeah, um, I mean, aside from the obvious, you know, pandemic things and just kind of the emotional, <laughs> you know, keep trying to keep your ship aright during that in, in a longer term. Um, the challenge I've got right now is I'm in an interesting dynamic. I've got a ministry that's aimed towards small churches, small ministries, but it's growing. So I've got this weird thing of how do I um, make way for the growth that the Lord is bringing my way, but not become big so that I become distant so that all of a sudden I'm not being the example of how to do small ministry well, because the ministry's gotten so big. I, I, I joke with other friends, I may be the only pastor in North America whose ministry, side ministry would be ruined if my church got too big. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, it's a strange thing. Isn't it? So, but now that's where it, yeah. So I'm trying to figure out how do we manage the growth we've got more readers and, and, and more opportunities and more speaking engagements and so on. And how do we do what, what God, the, the doors, the Lord seems to be opening, but still keep that sense of closeness and smallness. I don't want to be a manager of a business. I want to continue to move to both pastor in, in, in a, in now a secondary way as the, as the associate pastor of my congregation while pastoring pastors. Mm -hmm. And if I get to the point where I 
cannot spend time talking with and sitting down with uh, fellow pastors in ministry, I feel like I'm going to be losing something very precious. So trying to navigate right that, that right now is a real challenge. Wow. Thank, Thank you, you so much for just being honest and, and sharing the, the real challenge that you're up against. And we believe with you for wisdom and trust that you'll know what to do. Our last question, Carl, is if you could tell a group of college pastors and young adult ministry leaders one thing, maybe you imagine yourself for this question, sitting down in a coffee shop over a cup of coffee and you're investing in the one or investing in a, a room of leaders, either way, but what would you um, share with that young leader today? Never shortchange relationships for methods. Um, we, we have a tendency to, because uh, I, I get asked the question all the time, what, for instance, with discipleship, what discipleship curriculum would you recommend, for instance? And if you're in a smaller church, my answer is generally whatever works for you. Uh, <laughs> and the reason I can be no, so nonchalant about that is the, the way we disciple people isn't by giving them a book or a program or a curriculum. Right. Uh, the way we disciple people is the way Jesus did and the apostle Paul did. It's through mentoring and the center of mentoring is relationships. Mm -hmm. So don't, um, don't despise or don't shortchange the depth and the opportunities to mentor uh, individuals or small groups of people. And don't think you're trading up when you speak to a large group than when you're mentoring a small group. That's not a trade up. It's not a trade down either. It's a trade over. It's at best parallel, but don't abandon the relational uh, aspects of ministry for uh, either bigger numbers or better methods or uh, a bigger platform or any of that. If your relationships are not solid, nothing else will work. And over the last couple of years, we have seen a trail of ruined ministries, not because they did bad methods, not because they weren't smart, but because their relationships fell to pieces. Mm. And that, if you don't guard that, you've lost everything. Definitely something to consider and ponder and reflect on this, this morning. Maybe you're on your drive to work this afternoon or tonight as you maybe have a visit you know, with friends or family over dinner. I think that, um, Carl, we're just so grateful for that note you left on and a great conversation today. So thanks for, so much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Good to be with you. I love the conversation. And you can find out more as listeners about Carl Vader's and Small Church Essentials when you connect with us on our website at youngadults.today, as well as on social media. It's just at youngadults.today. Until next time, this is Josiah and Micah Keneally signing off with Young Adults Today. Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Right now. Plug me in. I'm getting charged up right now, yeah.